0: This podcast is supported by Americans for Medical Progress and was founded and created through the Michael D. Hare Fellowship, awarded annually to support projects that inform and educate the public about the critical role of animal research in furthering medical progress. The fellowship honors the late Dr. Michael Hare, a renowned board-certified laboratory animal veterinarian who dedicated his career to scientific and medical advancements and who was deeply committed to animal welfare and advocacy. Hey everyone, and welcome into the June edition of the Lab Rat Chat News Bite episodes. Danielle and I are going to break down some exciting, entertaining, awesome stories for you guys to hear that we have found that have occurred over the last month, um and then just tell you about some other stuff and probably go off on random tangents as we normally do on Live Brad Chat News Bite episodes. So thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. Please go subscribe and rate and review our show wherever you can, iTunes and Spotify. It really helps us out. So if you could do that now, just hit pause, go do that now. That'd be great. Thank you. Um, and then I am finally done with vet school. Have I said that yet on the show? I don't think I did.
1: I don't know, but you're a vet. You're Dr. Yeah. Jeff.
0: Officially, um, I don't know if how much I will use the. I mean, the whole doc, the doctor title, you know.
1: I think being Doctor Jeff is better than being Doctor like, Marshall. Yeah, Doctor Jeff know? is
0: better for sure, a little less formal. Yeah. So yeah. I think maybe I can get those embroidered on my scrubs, Doctor Jeff, instead of Doctor Marshall. We'll see. Maybe we'll just say my full name yeah. and not even say Doctor. Just say Jeff Marshall, BBM. And then you people can, can pick too. and choose what they want to call me. And they just want to call me Jeff. Yeah. That's fine.
1: Of course. Um, You've been Jeff so I'm this get, long. Let's right, keep I'm going getting, I wonder,
0: I just got where I want to be working. They, so they're they going to embroider my scripts for me, put my name on it and stuff. And they, I didn't tell them about, I wonder if they're going to put Jeffrey on there now, now that I think about it. Okay. Yeah, if they do, whatever. Not the end of the world. Um. Anyways, that was random. So, but yeah, so that that school's finally done, graduated. That's in the books. Graduation took a while, longer than I'd hoped. So,
1: The actual graduation or the fact that it took you four years to get there? Yeah,
0: the four years obviously did take a while. Looking back, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't that bad, Uh, but.
1: Flew by for me, I mean.
0: I'm good. I'm glad the last four years have gone by fast for you. I definitely have more gray hairs than I've had than I had four years ago, mm. which I mean would just happen with time. But I think vet school, in addition to continuing to add children to our lives, has
1: but do you have a that. receding hairline yet?
0: No, I have a very thick, luscious set of hair.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, my husband's hairline is like it's it's getting pretty rough. The stress of his last four years, just from work and pandemic. That's because so I blah, haven't been so. there <laughs>
0: for entertainment. And he's just like, man, with Jeff for hanging he around. He misses yeah, you. Likewise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every time I get my hair cut, they do point out the gray hairs. Claire, my wife, also likes to point out my gray hairs occasionally. Um, and she has claimed that I have a receding hairline, but I don't think I do.
1: You feel I'm, good I about I feel it. confident. That I've always
0: had like on the sides, it kind of goes back a little bit, but I have enough hair where it covers it up. And the people that cut my yeah. hair always tell me that it's definitely not receding and that From the looks of it, I'm not going bald anytime soon. And I'd rather have some gray hair than no hair. I'll go with
1: that.
0: I mean, if you cut it short enough, it's hard to tell that's gray. So there's that. Anyways, getting to, as we talked about on our last episode, the one, the only non five star review we have for the show is Mm -hmm. uh, a three star review which is basically three stars because we appear to be unorganized on these shows and not as structured. So we're not doing ourselves any favors with this episode once again. Um, But I think that's the, that's the fun of these episodes. I enjoy just coming on here, talking about random things, letting our listeners get a little insight into what's going on in our lives.
1: Yeah. Cause like the interviews are like not, Not scripted, but like we have the questions that we want to ask. And, you know, it's a little more, I guess you could say structured. These, we don't even talk to each other ahead of time to say what we're going to talk about. We just log in and start recording.
0: So it's just a nice chance for us to catch up and stay in touch as well. Yep. So speaking of that, we will have, I have two stories. Do you have two today?
1: I do. Yes.
0: My two are about, see, I, I already... Let me pull up. I do have a list. So there's a little bit of structure here. Um, animals being able to sense harsh speaking tones when we speak to them. And I guess even when like other animals s- speak to them in animal language, you know, like grunts and noises. And then also about traumatic brain injuries in head-butting animals from that we've seen for the first time.
1: Oh. Well, I am going to be talking about the Egyptian fruit bat because they have a unique uh, system for echolocation and flight. And then I also am going to be talking about, so this is, it is animal related, but it's also kind of on a tangent. There's a new piece of equipment that doctors have created um, to sort of image the middle and inner ear for people with uh, ear infections, otitis media, but obviously it's relevant because they, you know, worked with chinchillas on it, but I'll elaborate when I get into that story.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. You definitely have a personal yes. connect, connection there.
1: <laughs> Only <Yeah>. slightly.
0: <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um, the fruit bats. So those, those are the fruit bats are like the Ebola reservoir bats, huh? I guess.
1: Oh, I don't know. Or at least one of them. Is it fruit bats? I think. But they—they're fruit bats. They don't eat.
0: Meat. No, they so they eat a lot of. I think they eat fruit and they can carry ebola virus and then people will eat the fruits sometimes i think they want to finish them all they'll drop them out of trees and stuff and then people eat them and get them that. i think that's one route of people getting ebola ebola
1: <laughs> well you're the vet i don't know
0: <laughs> i mean you want to know how many days we talked about fruit bats in vet school Zero. Two. Yeah, zero. Oh, so okay. Um, maybe we did talk about them if we had during our Ebola lecture. Maybe they came up. If it's even the right bat, it's also like the flying like fox bat, right? Which are huge. They don't carry Ebola, I think. Um, but the fruit bats, I think, are giant bats. I don't know. Look them up. In the meantime, I'll start with um, yeah, and you can maybe you can find something and correct me if I'm wrong when you get to that story. All right, but. So researchers out of Mount Sinai Hospital, out of the Mount Sinai School of Medicine, have seen for the first time there are signs, like hallmark signs of concussions and other like head trauma in brains of deceased headbutting animals. So they looked at muskox or muskoxen and bighorn sheep. And so I, I guess they had never seen this before. Um, this is a commonly held belief that ramming animals do not suffer brain injuries. And I, I don't know if it's just because of the anatomy of their skulls and just their general like development and formation of their, of their brain and just in skull and the way that it, c- it can protect their brain. Um, but their brain is similar to ours. It's folded, has all the folds and just like, just like a human's. Um, and they have found for the first time, like they were able to use antibodies and just like they do with human brains that with the tau protein. So sure you've heard of like the tau protein that's related to Alzheimer's and CTE, which the CTE is the big.
1: Are you, are you saying tau or towel?
0: T-A-U. Yeah. It's, tau. The
1: way you were pronouncing it sounded like the t- towel. The towel.
0: Yeah. No, not not something that <laughs> dries you off.
1: Okay. The yes.
0: Tau. T-A-U. Okay. Um, so, but that, that, that protein is like a hallmark of damage that they see in the brain of specifically they've, it's, we've seen that a lot in the news surrounding the chronic traumatic encephalopathy that we hear about with football players and boxers for the most part, but we haven't seen it in animals. And so they were actually able to get brains from these headbutting, ramming animals and, you know, add these antibodies to the brain. And detect this towel protein in there. How how is that one? Does that sound better? That okay. was better. Yeah. I basically need to start I need to start maybe saying that,
1: that southern drawl. Yeah,
0: it's come out a lot <laughs> here in Christiansburg. Um, but they yeah. may, it's gonna get worse in Louisiana. We um <laughs> uh. and maybe I just need to start saying towel and just stop before the it's kinda how it works, you know, just start saying towel but stop early.
1: Tau? Yeah.
0: So but they were surprised to see it, just because they haven't seen it before, um, which is crazy. Because it says that they, these animals, will run like the musk ox, and will run thirty miles an hour. The two animals headfirst into each other, um, and so the fact that they wouldn't sustain brain injuries, whatever their, whatever whatever their like bones, their skull is made out of. We need to just replicate that and put it into helmets. Football players—they uh, just need yeah. muskox helmets—is what they need. So,
1: isn't that what the Vikings would wear?
0: <laughs> Potentially,
1: were the Vikings onto something with those big horned? Helmets? Yeah, maybe
0: they knew more than we did. Um, but well, so one interesting and almost kind of contradictory finding that they that they found, which was the opposite of what they had hypothesized. Well so they also look at female brains, assuming that they would have less of this tau protein and they actually had more. Um so why do the females appear to have more damage than the males? And one reason is maybe their their like, skull anatomy is different. So maybe and maybe they do mm-hmm. have some sort of Headbutting, maybe they get involved a little bit somehow. Um, and maybe a little bit of head trauma to them goes a lot further than it does in the males, given that they don't have the same amount of protection. Maybe that's, maybe that's one reasoning. They don't know, but they're going to start looking into that. But anyways, if we're able to kind of be, be able to take this information from animals and be able to start studying it more and maybe find ways to prevent, cure, treat it in humans would be the ultimate goal so kind of cool to see it for the first time in these animals that you know intentionally run at each other 30 miles an hour head first just like they do in the NFL have similar injuries to their to their brains mm so there's that what you got
1: interesting um, well I'll start out with the Egyptian fruit bats um, so this study looked at their very complex way that their brain sort of groups, like different muscles, like one part of the brain will affect multiple muscles instead of just like one muscle. Uh, so they had these fruit bats under anesthesia and they attached electrodes to stimulate different areas of the motor cortex. And instead of seeing like, you know, this section will cause a toe to twitch or something, it was causing like multiple muscles and limb movements like synergistically with each other if that's the right way of saying it um yeah right so and they also used their tongues for echolocation whereas most other bats use their larynx for echolocation and 40 percent of the sensory and motor cortex um that was stimulated also produced tongue movements so it just shows like a new new way that their brains sort of control the functions of their body, whereas like for it, one example, it says, if you look at a rhesus macaque, a huge amount of the cortex is devoted to gripping. And similarly in humans, the hands are heavily represented. So it's the first time they they found a model that shows a singular portion of the cortex affecting multiple parts of the body. Um, and so it's just, it, it, the brain is such a mysterious place <laughs> So it just you know they're still doing more research, still looking into this. But I just thought it was really unique that these little bats are sort of, I don't know, maybe more advanced in some aspects um, of their brain. And there was an interesting fact here, and now I can't find it. It's
0: okay. We have nothing but time here.
1: I right. I just had it. Did up on you my find screen. out if they
0: have the Ebola? Yes.
1: So fruit bats themselves are the presumptive reservoir host for Ebola, not specifically the Egyptian fruit bat, which is what well, this study not is about. Well, um, confusing. Well, there's many different types of fruit bats.
0: So, but just the general, no prefix, fruit bat is the Ebola.
1: Right. Because you have fruit bats and you so have insect bats. So should we call it the Ebola fruit bat? Well, I think there's more than one that fruit bat. That has Ebola? But that- does the Egyptian yeah. fruit
0: bat have carry Ebola?
1: Well, so, no, I don't, you know, I'll do a little more research okay. just, <laughs> before we I just, mean it's not like they're yeah, here and, and, and we need to
0: worry about it. But just in case.
1: I found my interesting fact that I wanted to say. Um bats represent a quarter of all living mammalian species, which I just thought was pretty.
0: Say it again, crazy. they represent a quarter of all living
1: of all living mammalian species. That's a lot. Yeah, and says this is the first time that the full motor cortex of any bat has been mapped. So that's sort of the uniqueness to to this study.
0: Yeah, yeah, bats are pretty cool, pretty cool animals. I think when I was in Florida, we had some real tiny bats. Gosh, I don't remember the name of them. I want to say they were like dwarf bats, but maybe that's not the case. Not what they were. I was just at an emergency clinic, and someone brought them in. They'd found them in their house, but they were. I mean, they. They w-
1: were they injured? Why did they come to a vet clinic?
0: Yeah, they were like, eh, they were just like laying in their room, like squeaking or maybe right outside their house, like laying on the ground. And so the person brought them in and they were like the size of your palm, you know, which I'm like, I don't know. There's any like, and they were kind of like walking around, like looking a little neurologic, which I'm like, uh, neurologic. And- what? Didn't silence a phone beforehand. Neurologic and bats don't really go well together, considering they're major Some rabies there for you? (laughs) Yeah, they like to harbor rabies. And uh, I I guess they were fine as like a bat rehabber came and picked them up because none of us knew what to do with them. And so the bat rehabber, they just took them home, I think, and just kind of like tried to nurse them back to health. I don't know what ever happened with them. But, but yeah, in okay. Florida, we had all sorts of—we had owls come in, uh, other wild birds, uh, raccoons on a daily basis, multiple raccoons every day.
1: People bringing them in for vet care,
0: uh, either vet care or. Just to uh, one of the people there was a wildlife rehabber, and they like, knew she worked there, oh.
1: and so like I don't know how gotcha. the word got out. That in the makes a little so more sense.
0: Bring them, bring them out. But a lot of times they either had like okay. suspected rabies or distemper. I mean, there's not much you can do for a raccoon at that point. But she did. She had like I don't know ten or eleven raccoons at her house. She would like rehab them. Eventually, like let them go. She always had them around. She's like the raccoon whisperer. Okay, so. Which nice. was kinda cool. They had gators come in sometimes, like little smaller gators. I don't I think one mm-hmm. had like was mm-hmm. burned or something somehow. So I, I don't know if that was I don't know. I didn't get to see a gator while Jeez. I was there. I was hoping I did. But I didn't. So anyways. Was that all you got about the bats and their echolocation yes, 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 and yes. brain stuff? Cool. Yep. Um the one that I have is we've talked about animal emotions a little bit on this show before i know you had a story about it at one point where you talked about it yeah and this one is out of the university of copenhagen and they looked at they took horses pigs and then it specifically says wild horses which i guess there are like asian wild horses in zoos which are technically wild but people here Like in North America, we talk about wild horses, like especially like in the outer banks of North Carolina and stuff, but none of the horses in the US are wild horses, technically. They're all feral horses. They're all domesticated at one point and then have been like released or have allowed to get out and then breed in the wild. But they're not technically wild. Wild means never domesticated. So just
1: You're being (laughs) very technical right now. That's just
0: what it is. They're not technically wild. They're feral. Uh, which people are I don't know. I think people have like a negative, like, relation to the word feral. You hear like feral cat. When you think
1: of like a feral cat. You're like a street cat, and I don't think of like a horse doing like gangster <laughs> stuff in an alley. No, they're like just out being in the, feral, like in the desert
0: know? out on the beach doing it. But they are
1: doing doing gangster yeah, horse stuff for sure. Okay.
0: Um. So
1: eating grass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. All that grass on the beach. No, but there is in the Outer Banks. <laughs> It's quite a bit. I've never gone down and see him. I've always wanted to, but never, never got around.
1: I've been to Chincoteague. Say that again. I've been to Chincoteague. Did you see him? It's in Virginia. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's actually, it's actually where my husband proposed to me. Yeah, he knows I like horses.
0: A feral horse, and like, like get up on it and then ride down the beach.
1: If only (laughs) he did.
0: Just lassoed (laughs) it on the beach, hopped on, and rode down with the with the (laughs) ring
1: that would that would have made the cowboy now story. We know nope. why. yeah I... now we
0: know why I said yes <laughs> all right
1: nice
0: um so they took these animals that were, they took them either either they were privately owned horses or from like a research station is where they got the pigs um, or they went to the zoos in Switzerland and France for their wild horses which I guess, I guess we actually can call them wild horses and they got wild pigs or wild boars and they used animal sounds which i guess they took from a library where they have like a previously already established like an emotion valence to these animal sounds with with like both positive and negative valences to them and then um and then they took these animal sounds and human voices which were both negative and positive and they played them hidden through speakers. That way they actually couldn't see like the, the human or the animal. They just wanted to know if they could hear the sound. And so they had very high quality speakers to do so so that they actually heard like accurate frequencies of the sounds. And then they played either the positive or negative sound. And then they would pause it and play like the the opposite one and see how they would respond. And they would actually see the animal's behaviors, whether like ear pins back or they, or they like, you know, tuck their tail or duck down or whatever you might see like in, in dogs, dogs and cats. Obviously it's not all the same in horses and pigs, but a lot of them are, are still the same. And they would actually, when they played the sounds, the animals would like automatically without, they were just standing there. If they heard a negative sound, they would like automatically respond in like a negative way. Like sometimes they'd be frightened. Um, and all of the animals would explain this except wild boars. So I guess wild boars don't really care. Um, for the most part,
1: wild boars are like badgers. Yeah. They
0: didn't care about the negative sounds. I think they still did respond to like positive sounds where they would kind of like look up, like perk up, the ears would go up. Um, which, you know, so there's still lots of like research here to do. The whole purpose of their, of their study is they want to know if animals have like an emotional component to them um and in their behavior and whether or not they have it some sort of, like anything in like the empathy category so they're going to continue to study sounds and animal research and they clearly were able to demonstrate i guess for the first time that animals will respond accordingly to just simply how you talk to to them, whether it's in a positive or negative way. And they, they have a bunch of different reasons for it. Um, a lot of it is just domestication that animals over the years have kind of learned through close contact with humans, like our own, our own yeah, behavior, how we respond. Bad. I mean, I know my dog. Well, my, my other dog, this dog, my current dog has like two brain cells. I'm not sure he's as good, but my other dog, he, if you ever said anything like negative, he knew what you're saying. His ears would pin back. He'd like, especially if he did something wrong, tuck down. But if the second you like perk up and do something a little higher pitch, all so like, you know, happy, the tails would yeah. all start wagging and come, come towards you. So I think we all kind of know this is true in, in, and dogs and cats and our pets. But uh, for, for other species, it's, it's a little different. So
1: interesting for wild, wild, wildlife. Yeah,
0: for sure. So if you see wildlife, um, be yeah, nice, be nice. Especially if it's like a wild boar or something that may want to come at you.
1: Because <laughs> he don't care bear. if you're mad. So maybe if you start <laughs> you talking nice. nice,
0: like, hey, you know, don't eat hey, me. Hey, Mr. Don't, boar. You know. Yeah. So try that first. If nothing else works. Talk talk nice. Then yeah, run. then run. <laughs> All right. Cool.
1: Awesome. Okay. So my last story has to do with otitis media or ear infections. And for those of you who know me, know that both of my children have recurrent, one had acute, the other had chronic ear infections, both have tubes. It's been like, I don't know, I'm always doing research on this. I always want to learn more. It just drives me nuts that some kids have this issue that will affect them and other kids never get an ear infection. Just blows my mind. So anyway... Um, a recent publication, there's a new piece of equipment and it uses optical coherence tom- tomography. And it's sort of like an inner ear portable imaging piece of equipment that they used originally used with chinchillas because chinchillas are the best model for inner ear research based on, you know, human, um, anatomy, very similar anatomy. Um, so this group has a, Like one is on a cart and the other is like a suitcase size, like portable imaging piece of equipment. And it's just like that little otoscope that goes in your ear to look. But right now when kids are being diagnosed, they look in the ear, they look at the membrane, the tympanic membrane just to see if there's infection right behind it. But this imaging equipment can go deeper into that inner ear canal and see, you know, is it just fluid? Is there a biofilm? And you get this, the article I found has really cool like images that kind of show what the machine will pick up. And it would be really cool if this takes off and can become sort of mainstream because a lot of times an ear infection can be deeper in the ear and you might only see like clear fluid at the eardrum. Um, And the doctor might say, well, let's wait a little bit and let's see if it'll clear up or let's try this, let's try that to just have an imaging piece of equipment that can take a picture deep throughout the ear and give you way more answers on what's going on. And it might even help speed up getting the referral to the ENT to get the ear tubes. If you can kind of prove more definitively that it's not just fluid that's left behind after a first ear infection, there's still infection. It's just deeper in the ear and I can't see it, you know, just with looking through the otoscope. Um, So I am fairly excited about this. Again, both of my kids now have ear tubes, but ear tubes are not forever. They fall out. And then like my son, his first set fell out. And then two weeks later, he had another ear infection. And you kind of have to wait to see what's going to happen before you get referred back to the ear, nose, throat specialist. Um, So I would personally like to thank all the chinchillas that had ear infections and the, were used to kind of perfect this piece of equipment. And they do say there's still more that can be done. Um, you know, Obviously, it would be ideal to make the piece of equipment smaller instead of having a big cart on wheels. But I think in the future, this can only mean amazing things for kids and adults, of course. But I just think about little kids with ear infections, and it's just the worst. So for all you parents out there who listen and have had a kid with an ear infection you know that it is not pleasant and it would just be nice to have a quicker, more conclusive imaging diagnosis. Yeah, I, I think it
0: sounds, I mean, I luckily we have been fortunate enough to not have to deal with this. Yeah,
1: you're one of the families that's lucky. I don't know why my kid, but, like, I don't know yeah, what I did when so I was like, growing them. It's, it would be
0: so frustrating <laughs> that you have to like go through this process of like, let's try this antibiotic, see if this works, doesn't work. Let's try this antibiotic for you know a couple of weeks and see if this one works, it doesn't work and then just to get the referral when it's like well if you've you've had a kid you have another kid it's the same exact thing like can we just jump forward to the tubes and I get know. relief quicker and like not I just know. for the child's sake but for the parents' sake so they can sleep um, and then everyone's happier well, so
1: the a uh, story I'll tell about my oldest son, when he was a baby, he would get an ear infection. We'd put him on an antibiotic. We'd go back to the doctor for a follow-up. They would say, oh, the infection's gone, but there's still some fluid that's hanging around. So let's just give it a few more weeks to see if the fluid will dry up. But within those few more weeks, an infection would start again. And it was this nonstop going back to the pediatrician's office. And once we got the ENT referral, there was a three-month wait period. So for like six whole months, it was like antibiotics, we would get clear fluid. A few weeks later, another infection. And this equipment that they're working on or have worked on, um, like this could possibly show that it's not just clear fluid in that canal. There's an infection deeper in the ear that your eye can't see. And maybe that would have sped up getting the referral because we wouldn't have had to wait for the infection to keep reaching the eardrum for the doctor to visibly be able to see. Um,
0: Yeah, so this actually has some C behind the eardrum.
1: It goes, yeah, it images deep um, deep into the ear canal. And, you know, the article's kind of cool. I can probably pull some screenshots and post it on Instagram or something once um, this episode's out. Because, I don't know, just based on my personal experience, I just am very excited about this piece of equipment for future kids to be able to get, hopefully, quicker relief. because. The story of my daughter, she got her first ear infection and she was on five different antibiotics back to back to back to back. Absolutely nothing got rid of the infection. Like it didn't even go down to just being clear fluid. Like we would go back to the doctor every week because she was still miserable. Um, you know, up all night, couldn't sleep in pain, pulling on her ears. Just yeah, it, was, it's awful. it was a very yeah. long month. Um, and no antibiotic was doing anything. Like, there, like the doctors. She saw, I think, four different doctors just because the practice happened to have like our doctor was on vacation or something. So, like, four different doctors looked in her ears and were like, If you hadn't told me she's already been on antibiotics, I would have just assumed this was her first visit because the eardrums are bulging. So, By some crazy miracle, when I called, we have a couple ENT offices in our area, and I called one of them after we got the referral, and I said, you know, I need an appointment for my daughter. They said the caller before me had canceled an appointment two days out and said they could give me that appointment. And that is unheard of because there's like a three-month wait to see ENTs around here. So I got in right away, and the surgeon looked in her ears and felt so bad for her. We got her on the surgery schedule for the following week, and he said when he made the incision to put the tube in, one of her ears, like, it was under so much pressure that it exploded that's back sort of out.
0: oozing out right away, just pouring out. Yes, yeah,
1: and he said he was so happy he got the tubes in. She's much happier. Yeah, so anyway, those are my personal stories, venting about kids with ear infections, but I feel like this piece of equipment is super exciting. Yeah. And thank you to the yeah, chinchillas. No, that's
0: awesome. We'll have to get some pictures of what the images look like inside of the ears up on yeah. social media for people to check out. And I, I mean... Like I said, luckily have been fortunate not to have to go through ear tubes, but so when they do the procedure, like, do they ever, like, once they kind of make their incision through the, the tympanic membrane and all this fluid comes out, do they, do they, at that point, they continue antibiotics? Like, do they culture that material to then figure out so what it's susceptible to? They
1: don't culture yeah. it. So they, they poke the hole, they flush it out, they insert the tube, they, fill it with antibiotic drops instead of like a systemic oral antibiotic and then they pack it with not pack it they put little bits of cotton in their ears just because the drainage immediately after surgery is bloody and gross um but when they're in recovery the little cotton pieces fall out and then you just do ear drops for three or four days um and then you go back for another follow-up just for them to see that the ear tubes have healed yeah yes yes and then
0: because um, they're also concerned about like biofilms for, and stuff right it's one of the, like in dogs there's like biofilm build up and then yeah. antibiotics can't work if there's biofilms there so I guess maybe the, the flushing and everything gets all that out of there
1: yes and I will say the ear that exploded on the doctor he said that one was really bad that one actually continued draining some of the nastiest stuff for like five days so I had to keep doing the drops on that ear for even longer and it's all a little bit satisfying if you're into like watching like Dr. Pimple Popper I'm and that not. sort of thing but it's also your little kid and you're like oh gosh I can't believe they're going through I know. this yeah
0: it sucks I mean it's got to feel great it's got to be the greatest feeling like when yeah. all that stuff starts it's just coming just relief out. just instant relief yep because we would, as adults, mm-hmm. we would all be like, we wouldn't even get out of bed if we had that much pressure inside our ear, you know?
1: That's what the surgeon said, because my daughter was, you know, smiley and giggly and happy before surgery. And once, after he came out of surgery, he goes, I cannot believe how happy she was with the level of pressure in her head. He goes, an adult would be hiding in their bed with their head under a pillow, crying, you know, going to the ER. And I was like, oh, my poor little right. girl.
0: Yeah, I know, it's awful. Same thing with like, our. Uh, <sighs> I mean, obviously not not our children, but. But our four-legged pet children, like when they like mm-hmm. when they have eye issues and like for like when they have high intraocular yeah, pressures and, and stuff even... and glaucoma, and we would yeah. we would not get out of bed if our eyes were at the pressures that they are that theirs are at or their chronic ear infections. We're like, you know, when we don't, they're just shaking their head and we're like, yeah, whatever, it's no big deal. Yeah, it's definitely very yeah. very painful. They just have a higher pain tolerance than we do, and so do kids. Yep. So, anyways. Um, hopefully, this technology makes its way to every practice everywhere so kids can get yeah, treated faster. Yeah. And so,
1: and adults, but you know, personally, I just I mean, worry for the about most the little part, kids, but adults too.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I don't really hear of too many adults having, you know, a chronic it's, ear infection. It's more rare. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I guess for adults too, but I think this is di- directed more towards towards children, especially because they can't. Talk, you know, they can't tell us. They can pull on their yeah. ears, but not all of them even do that. And so, being able to find yep. that fluid and be able to visualize there's infection and then treat it and get tubes in and all that stuff, well, be great. Exactly. So, cool. All right. Well, those are our stories for the June edition of the Lab Chat Newsbite episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, again, just go, you know, rate review on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you can. We appreciate it and thank you again for listening and we'll catch you all next time take care everyone